Um, let's get started. So we, um, we're finishing out this week, uh, this series that we started a few weeks ago called Healthy Habits, where we've been looking at uh, a lot of different um, habits that we can take on, lifestyle changes that we could possibly take on that would just make us a, a, a better person, a, a closer servant of God, all that kind of stuff. And we've been looking at, you know, that when we become followers of Jesus, Jesus Christ, that is not just uh, to impact our church life or our spiritual life. That our relationship with Jesus bleeds into every area of our life. And so we looked at, um, uh, you know, developing healthy relational habits and, and uh, physical habits and emotional habits and financial habits and what God's Word says, has to say about all of those things. And this week we're going to close off with developing some healthy spiritual habits. And what, I've been so excited about this message. I thought about leading off with this message. It probably made more sense to lead off with this message, but I, for, uh, for some reason I wanted to save it till the end. And I, this is what I know, that it doesn't matter. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. It, um, if you develop healthy financial habits and healthy physical habits and healthy relational and emotional habits and all that kind of stuff, if you get super healthy in that, but you neglect to be, have healthy spiritual habits, in other words, you neglect your relationship with Jesus Christ, in the end of the, at the end of the day, all of that healthy habit making that you've done makes no eternal difference in the world. That might make some temporal difference right now, in the right here and now for your life. It might set you up for some better things, that sort of thing. But it makes no eternal difference in the world unless Jesus is at the center of all of it. And, and so what I want to talk about today is how do we do that? And, and you know, if, you're, if you've been in church very long, every time somebody starts talking about healthy disciplines or healthy uh, spiritual habits, they're, they're going to tell you to read your Bible. They're going to tell you to pray more. They're going to tell you to go to church. They're going to tell you, you know, all these different things that we can adopt. And all that stuff is true. But I want to kind of get to the heart of all of that this morning and talk about something. So before I dive in, let me just say this. I, I'm kind of a travel nerd. I, you guys know me by now. I'm a nerd about everything. But, um, I, but I, I, when, I, when I get the opportunity to travel, I've, I've had a few opportunities in my life to travel, visit other countries and things like that. And whenever I do that, or if I'm planning a vacation for my family or something like that, I nerd out over the prep of that vacation. Does anybody else do that? Like get really just get into the preparation of a trip, all that kind of, I'm that guy, like I'll go buy the travel guides. I, you know, I'll, I'll go get the, you know, all the travel guides and all that kind of stuff. And I'll do the investigation and where can we stay the nicest place for the cheapest? Where can we find the best food? What's travel like in that country? What do I need to know about fees that I might not be expecting or how the money works or on and on and on. I love digging into all that kind of uh, cultural stuff that maybe you don't find out in the travel brochure. And, and, I, and so and I do, I'll plan and plan and plan. Before I ever visited uh, Yosemite National Park, uh, I, I fell in love with Yosemite National Park. I, I fell in love with the pictures. I, would, I was reading, at, before I ever got to the valley, before, I mean, like two years before I ever made it to the valley, I started nerding out over Yosemite. To the point that, and this is not an exaggeration, when we drove into the valley for the first time as a family, I did not need a map. I knew my way around, and I knew where every building and every site was. Like, it was just ingrained in my... I had stared at those maps for so long and memorized the locations and the landmarks and everything, and I love that stuff. I love it when I go on a hike around Yosemite to pick up a guidebook and see the kind of things I might find on that hike that I might not have found otherwise if I would not done a little research. And, you know, I, I, man, I just geek out over that stuff. 
And so I, I always get these travel guides. I remember uh, when we went to uh, Scotland, Jamie was pregnant with Isla, and we were able to go to Scotland for a week, her, just, just her and I. It was a really beautiful trip. We rented a car and just kind of uh, drove throughout the, the highlands and stayed in bed and breakfast. It was, a, it was a great trip. And I got the travel guides, and I was doing the research, and I had everything booked out, and I knew exactly how to navigate the roads and how to, you know, wh- where, where I should stay and all that kind of stuff. But all of that prep, and, the, and these travel guides, there's never, for some reason, if it's a travel guide, you'd think there'd be pictures. There's never pictures. It's always, you might find a map or two, but it's just this kind of boring text. But, but it's good information and stuff like that. But as much as I got into nerding out over this Scotland trip and getting into those travel guides, the thing it did not prepare me for was this. Put that picture up there. It did not prepare me for driving around a two-lane highway through the highlands of Scotland and coming up on one of their locks that we would call lakes and and, and I had to swerve and pull over super fast. I hit the brakes. Jamie was, was about seven months pregnant at the time, so I thought she was going to slap me. And, and, uh, but I pulled over, and I just jumped out of the car because what I saw, I couldn't tell where reality began and the reflection began and ended. I, it, it, was, it, blew, it looked like I was staring down into a, a bottomless chasm. It blew me away, and I just stood there. And before long, another guy, a guy in his 70s who was from England uh, up on vacation or holiday, as he would call it, came up and, and stood beside me. And the two of us just stood there weeping, just weeping. Jamie was too pregnant to get out of the car. She was like, take a picture, take a picture. <laughs> and, and, you know, that sort of thing. But it was just, I, we, it was the most beautiful thing that like the, none of the travel guides could prepare me for, for experiencing that beauty. They just couldn't do it. When we went to uh, Rome a couple of years ago. I bought the uh, digital version of, of uh, the, the book so I could have it on my phone and I wouldn't have to carry a big book around. But I nerded out over that trip and found out where we should stay and where we should eat and what other cities we might should visit and how to navigate the train system there and all that kind of stuff. But the thing that none of those travel books and all that research could prepare me for, it could not prepare me for this, how Italy would ruin me for food forever. <laughs> I mean, for. Ever, I will compare every meal I ever have to every meal I had in Italy. It ruined me, and food sucks here. <laughs> it's horrible. It is, yeah, anyway, just ruined. Like, I wasn't prepared for that, and no book, no research could have prepared me for that. When we've taken mission trips to India, and I got my, my book for that, my South India book, because that's where we go in southern India, and done all the research and how to, how to hail uh, uh, one of those little uh, cabs and, and you know, all that kind of stuff and, 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 and how to manage their money there and all the cultural things and the temples and the things that you can find there and doing all that research and knowing as much as I could possibly know what to expect before I got there and how, how helpful that information was to have when we got there, but nothing could prepare me for more joy than I've ever seen before on the face of a child. And every time we go there, I am reminded that I'm, I'm, I'm around these kids. I've never seen more just day-to-day joy in the life of any other kids on the planet. They just live in it. I mean, and they've got things to be upset about. <laughs> they've got things that should be draining that joy going on in their life. But they, you can't, you can't replace the, just that inner joy that just comes out of a face and comes out of a, 
out and play. And I've, all, I've just been blown away by that. And no travel guide could have prepared me for that. They just couldn't have. And I think sometimes our experience with the Bible is, is, is somewhat the same. This is why Psalm 34 verse 8 says this, Read that the Lord is good. No, it, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it actually say? Put up the next slide. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't read about the goodness. I mean, you can read about the goodness of God. But it's a whole different thing to taste it and see it. It's a whole different thing to experience it for yourself. I, I want us to talk this morning about how to have those kind of experiences, because I think this is why we're all here. I think this is what we all want out of our spiritual seeking and our desire to get closer to Christ. We want genuine, beautiful, like, we want relationship with God. We've, we, you know, if, you, if you're around living hope, a lot of you, it's because you've done religion before. You want, you're, you're up for some relationship now. And how do we experience, like, genuine relationship, a genuine experience with God? That doesn't just come at a concert or a big event or whatever, but in the day-to-day. Like, how do we experience a relationship, an experience with the God of the universe on a regular basis? There's this verse that I want to kind of set up this morning that uh, it's in Hebrews chapter 4. And in this verse, um, it's probably one of the most misunderstood verses um, in today's world that, that we read. And we read it a lot. If you ever take a membership class at any church, they're going to read you this verse just to kind of tell you how the Word of God, how the Bible works in your life and all that kind of stuff and how important it is to your life. And the verse says something like this. Actually, it says exa- exactly this. Let's just read it. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4, start with verse 12. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. The Word of God is alive and active. And like I said, church after church after church, and if you've been in churches very long, you've heard it this way that is telling us that that's how powerful the Bible is in our life, that it, it can actually dig into who you are. I used to say a phrase a lot that said, anybody can read the Bible, but do you have the guts to let the Bible read you? Right? That sort of thing. And what I want to do is explain to you why this verse is so misunderstood. Now, I'm, everybody buckle in, okay? We're going to go on a little ride here. For those of you who are new to the faith, This is probably not going to be that big of a deal to you. For those of you who have been Christians for very long, you might run me out of here and call me a heretic after today. All right? So pay attention. Pay attention. Because I definitely don't want to be a heretic, and I don't want to be uh, somebody who's leading you down the wrong path. But I want to reveal to you this morning what the Bible talks about when it talks about the Word of God. And I want to present to you the idea that what the Bible does not refer to when it talks about the Word of God is the Bible. That's not what it's referring to when it's talking about the Word of God. The word, I'll tell you this, the, word, the Bible is included in that term, the Word of God, 
but it is not just simply the Word of God. Hang on, and I'll show you what I mean, okay? Here we go. I'm going to read a bunch of verses real fast. And well, first of all, let me, let me just challenge you to do this. The kind of big point today is that I want to challenge us to move beyond the Bible and into the Word. Move beyond the Bible and into the Word. In other words, can, can I just be honest with you about the Bible? Now, if you guys have been in my office and you, if you've watched me in my daily habits or anything like that, you know that I love the Bible. I love this book. I spend literally um, multiple hours a day reading and studying this book. It is, it is my, I've given my life to the study of this book and to opening it up and revealing it to you all and all that kind of stuff. I love this book so much. I, I've got 500 books or more about how to read this book better. And, and I, I just, again, I nerd out over everything, right? That's the way I am. And, and so this is not an example of me trying to knock the Bible down a peg or two or whatever like this. I, I, I highly revere, I'll hold this book up high and, and say it is, it is the greatest of all books ever written. It, is, it, it has that level of greatness to it. Can I just be honest with you? And can we all just be honest? Like, can we just, I know we're in church and you're not supposed to say things like this, but can we just get honest for just a second and just admit, while it might be the greatest book ever given to man, it's not a particularly good book. It's not, I mean, it's, it is the good book, right? But it's not a particularly good read. It's not exactly a page turner. There are, you know, verses after verses after verses of really boring content that you as well as I know good and well that you just skim over. Okay, he begat, yeah, I get it. He begat, he begat, he begat. Oh yeah, okay, this is the material they used to build a temple and it took about 500 pages to describe that and on and on and on. It's not exactly, there are some page turning moments in it, but it's not like, can, can I just be honest? I devoured, devoured, could not read them fast enough, the Harry Potter books. Those are great books. Great books. They're a good read. They just, oh, they pop off the page and they just suck you into the drama. And that, that's like, those, some of those books are really, really great read. The Bible is, is in some cases 3,000 years old and it reads like it's 3,000 years old in places. And I know this is not popular for me to say. You guys are looking at me like, if I had a gun, I'd shoot you right now, Jeff. But just get honest for just a second. You know good and well. That there have been times that you've been in the words that you're like, whew, I don't know how this is useful. Or, or like, I, or, you know, you're reading through the Old Testament going, I know this is supposed to be valuable to me in some way, but can we just hurry up and get to the New Testament? And you're, you're just though you have those feelings, those emotions around your Bible reading. And I, that's not to say it's not the greatest book that's ever been given to man, because it is. But it is a difficult book at times to read. It's not the most interesting at portions of it the book to read. It is, it's, it's, it's a struggle. Some of you, if you were honest with you, I, in fact, I, I'd venture to say at least half of you in this room would, would, if you were to be honest, I won't put you on the spot, but if you were to be honest, you'd lift your hand high and say, I actually kind of struggle to read the Bible. It's a struggle for me. I'd much rather hear it preached or, or listen to it on a podcast or even listen to it audio. That's easier for me to whatever, but you just struggle to kind of engage with the Bible. Some of you, that's the way you are about prayer. You struggle with prayer. It's, not, it's something you're having a hard time grasping, and, and you, but you read it. You read it because you should, because somebody told you that you should, and, and you got to check that off your list, and it's your spiritual disciplines, the things that you have to do to read your Bible, and I'm not saying you shouldn't. Again, I, I, I spend multiple hours a day doing it for myself. I love it. Love it. 
But what I want to encourage us to do this morning is get to the heart of why it is we open up this book. Get to the heart of, of why this book is so great. And I want to challenge us this morning to move beyond the Bible and into the Word. So let's look at the way the Bible uses the phrase, the Word of God, when it talks about the Word of God. Again, I'm going to blow through a bunch of verses here. Stay up. Keep up with me, okay? Genesis chapter 15 says this, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. So, so here in this particular, the word of the Lord, this is pre-Bible. They didn't have any scriptures, any Bibles at the time of Abraham, whatever. But the word of the Lord comes to Abraham in a vision. This was just how God was communicating to Abram. It's, just how, it's how he was moving in his life. It's what he was doing. The word of the Lord comes to him. Exodus chapter 9 those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring the, their slaves and their livestock inside. And so here you have this again, this again pre-scriptures, but these, these people who feared the word of the Lord. What did they fear? These, this is God putting plagues on the nation of Israel so that they would release the Israelites. They feared what God was doing. They, they, they weren't afraid of a book. They just feared what God was doing. 1 Samuel chapter 3, In those days the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. The word of the Lord wasn't coming to them through a book or a scripture or a scroll. It was coming to them through how God was speaking to his people in this, in this instance in visions. 1 Samuel 15, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king. The word of, again, it's how God is speaking to him, how he's leading him. 1 Chronicles 17, but that night the word of God came to Nathan. Same thing. Psalm 33, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. This is the word of, word of, word of God, not being written in books for us to read, but being written in the universe. The word of, of, of the Lord uh, was instrumental. In other words, this is what God was doing. This is how he was moving, in his, even in his creative work. First Peter, let's skip to the New Testament. First Peter chapter 1. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, we would never say that it's the Bible who get, that gives us salvation. Who gives us salvation? Yeah, God, Jesus Christ, right? That's where our salvation comes from. It doesn't come through a book. It comes through Jesus Christ himself. And yet here, it's, uh, we're, we're being born again through the living and enduring word. Word of God. This is what God was doing in and through Jesus, right? Look at Second uh, Peter chapter three. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed. We, we, we looked at that earlier in Psalm. Look at First John chapter two. He says, "I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome." the evil one. What he's talking about here is not that we have scripture written on our hearts, but he's referring here as, as the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. Again, what is God doing in us? What is he doing in the world? How is he speaking to us? How is he moving? Revelation chapter one, right there in the beginning, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, Listen to this, who testifies everything he saw. And what did he see? He saw the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. He saw the word of God. He saw Jesus. He saw what Jesus was doing, what he taught, what he did, how he moved, how, how God revealed himself through him. That's what he saw. That's what he testified. And then the most famous one of all, the way John opens up his gospel when he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word 
was God. Now, you see, when we, if, if you refer to this book as the Word of God, there's nothing wrong with you doing that. Go ahead, keep doing that. I'm, I'm okay with that. But when biblical writers refer to the Word of the Lord or the Word of God, they were not referring to a book. After they started getting scriptures, they would refer to this as a, a, a part of the Word of God. It's part of the way that God moves in, amongst his people and communicates to us and what he's doing in the world and how he's revealing himself. Part of that, that equation, but not the whole equation. The Word of God is not just the Bible. The Word of God is God himself moving amongst humans, how he speaks to us. And so the Word of God can move amongst us today in the 21st century through Scripture, the Word of God. uh, We hear from the Word of God through preaching. We hear through the Word of God just through the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and leading us to do individually much different, you know, different things and different callings and all that kind of stuff. The Word Word of God comes to us in many ways, shapes, and forms. And the reason that they lifted up the Word of God as something that was living and active is because they weren't pointing to a book of pages between two covers. They were talking about God himself. The Holy Spirit of God in you is living and active, able to divide between right and wrong and all this kind of stuff that it talks about. The Word of God is a movement in this world and a movement inside of you. That's the Word of God. Read your Bible. You definitely should. Don't stop reading your Bible. By all means, don't stop reading your Bible. Let me throw another verse up to you. This is 2 Corinthians. This is Paul talking in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Sometimes we struggle so hard with those. I've been reading through uh, Old Testament books recently. And, um, man, sometimes it's a struggle. The other day I was reading through, uh, like, Joshua and Judges. Oof. It's brutal. Like, literally brutal. It's brutal. It's hard to read some of that stuff sometimes and go, oh, how do, I, how do I make this mesh with the image of Jesus I get in Scripture because it's just so, go in and kill everybody all the time. Just go, go in and kill everybody. Just, just wipe out everybody. Kill, don't leave anybody standing. Kill, kill the women too. What about the babies? Yeah, go ahead and kill, those, kill them too. Like, wipe everybody out so that I can give you the land that I promised. Like, how do I, holy cow, how do I make that make sense with the message of love that Jesus gives us? with the God that's revealed to us through Jesus. And, and it, I, I, I'm just being honest. Sometimes that stuff, is, it's hard. Sometimes it's beautiful and it's helpful and it's just amazing. And then there's other parts of it where I'm like, oh, God, please don't ever ask me to preach that passage, right? Like, like it is, it's just hard. It's just difficult. This is what Paul has to say about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. So this what this is referring to is from an Old Testament story in Exodus where uh, uh, Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God and he had been around God's glory to the point that his face was shining. Like it just had a glow to it, his face did, like a tangible glow to the point that when he came down the mountain to speak to the people, the, the Israelites, they saw him all shiny and was like, holy cow, what's going on? It just freaked them out. And so he started putting a veil over his face so the glory of God would not freak them out, right? And so Paul uses that reference here, and he's talking about that veil. He's like, we're, we're, we're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face. He says, but their minds were made dull. For Listen, for to this day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read, the Old Testament, those old books. 
The same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their heart. Look at verse 16. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, when in the New Testament when they refer to the Lord, they're talking about Jesus. When anybody, refers to, when anybody turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is what I want to tell you. Now, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I say, not what you think you hear me say. Listen to what I'm getting ready to say, okay? The Bible, this book, this book, this book will not show you God. Jesus shows us God. Now, this Bible will testify to this. These words will testify. These words will lead us to that point. These words will be that travel guide to give us more background and more detail and more information and more a beautiful, fuller, well-rounded relationship. But at the end of the day, the goal is for you to not read more Bible. The goal is for you to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's about being in the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the goal. And what I want to encourage you to do this morning is stop reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible and start reading the Bible to meet Jesus. Because if you're not reading the Bible to meet Jesus, it's a huge waste of time. It's a huge waste of time. My other big point this morning is this. Your reading about God should always result in an experience with God. Your reading about God should always result in an experience with God. And this is what I want for us. This is what, what I want for our, our church. I don't want us necessarily to be a church that reads more Bible, although that would be so helpful. We would get a lot out of that. But that's not the end goal. That's one step towards the end goal. What I want for this congregation is to be a congregation of people who have an intimate beautiful, real relationship with the Jesus of the Bible. The Bible is no replacement for Jesus. In the same way that Lonely Planet, South India, is no replacement for actually going. The Bible is no replacement for Jesus. But if the Bible can lead you to meet and experience the person of Jesus, then it's done its job. And it's done it well. And this is why it's the greatest book that's ever been written. Because I can get into these pages and meet with the God of the universe. I can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can, have, I can see God more clearly when I see Jesus more clearly. Why? Because Jesus himself said the same thing. You want to see God? Look to me. You want to meet with God? Look to me. You want to have an experience with God? Look to me. As Paul said, you read those old passages, there's a veil. You can't get to them. You want to get to God through the Old Testament? Good luck. You want to get to God? Go to God through Jesus. And it's only through Jesus that Jesus sheds light on those old passages and takes the veil off, and suddenly they begin to make sense. 
But the goal is Jesus. The goal is not the Bible. At the end of the day, hang on, listen to my words. At the end of the day, this is just a book of pages and words if it's not having you meet with Jesus. It's just a book with pages and words. And we've made the mistake, I think, and, and, and it's, it's a, we don't mean to, and it wasn't evil, it wasn't, there was no evil intent behind it, but I think we have become a people who have raised the book up so high that we've made it a fourth member of the Trinity. That, that our lifting up of this book has almost become a form of idolatry. Because some of us might be worshiping the book instead of worshiping the Jesus of the book. Again, hold it high. Get in it. Study it. Like, like open up its riches, because it is rich. But if those riches don't lead you to Jesus, it's a total waste of time. It's a total waste of time. What, what do I want for you in terms of developing some healthy habits this year? Do I want you in the Bible? Sure. Do I want you in church? Sure. Do I want you spending more time in prayer? Sure. But what I ultimately want for you, I want you to know Jesus. Because all of that pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Like really knowing him. And yes, the Bible will help you in that process. And being around God's people will help you in that process. And talking to him and allowing him to speak to you through the Holy Spirit in your life will help you in that process. But the end goal should always be an experience with God. An experience with God. So, let me talk real quick about a couple of options that you could choose for new habits this year. First one is this. Meet with Jesus in the New Testament. Meet with Jesus. No, don't just read the New Testament. Don't just read the Old Testament. Meet with Jesus in the New Testament. Man, when you open up those New... The New Testament's our book. It's all our book. It's all our book. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay the Old Testament, but I'm saying we, you want to see God, see Jesus. Get into those Gospels. Look at what he's doing, what he, how he's moving, how, what he's saying, how he's leading, what his life looked like. Get into the life of Jesus. Like, like take upon a personal, so this is one of the most valuable. One, there was one year, uh, years ago, I, I read nothing for the whole year except for the Sermon on the Mount. That's the only Bible I read, the whole three, Matthew 5 through 7, Sermon on the Mount. I wanted that ingrained in me, what Jesus' way of life, his way of thinking about the world and the way that we should live. I just wanted that ingrained in me. Take on a study of who Jesus is and what made him tick and what made him, how other people talked about him, how other people who walked with him talked about him and how they lived their lives. Get into Jesus. Meet him. Meet him through that, through your Bible reading. Next, meet with Jesus in prayer. Don't say a prayer, just say a prayer. Don't say a prayer, just say a prayer. It's fine. Go ahead, bless your meals. That's fine. But don't say a prayer, just say a prayer. Like, say a prayer to meet with Jesus. Like, to really commune with him. Third one is this. Meet with Jesus with your church family. Don't come to church just because you're, you know, you're just trying to, you know, get your get-out-of-hell-free card. Right? Like, some of you, some of you guys, some of you Niners fans were in church last week. Just because you didn't want to jinx it. You know what I'm saying? Just because he didn't want the first service was packed, didn't want to jinx it, right? Got to make sure. And uh, I'm just saying, come to church, 
be around your brothers and sisters in Christ, do it to meet with Jesus. Meet with Jesus. I'm going to tell you, you want to revolutionize your, your Bible reading this year? Get in there and read. And before you read, say a little prayer. And just ask Jesus, will you speak to me this morning? Don't just read it to check off your reading plan and check off, you know, I, I did my due diligence for today, whatever. And reading plans are good and they have their purpose. And I'm not, I'm not downplaying that. Do those things. That's all good. But all those things are ultimately only tools to get you to Jesus. Start off with a word of prayer and just, Jesus, will you meet with me this morning? Will you speak to me this morning? Would you let a, a phrase or a sentence or something just jump off the page and stick in my mind all day long that you need for me to hear today? And meet with Jesus in this word. Actually meet with him. I was reading um, recently uh, this book about, it was called How the Irish Changed Civilization, because I'm a huge nerd. And, um, and so it's this historical book, but it ends up being this book about how uh, Christians in Ireland, when, when Christianity came to Ireland through, through the guy that we refer to as St. Patrick, um, how the Christian movement in Ireland is what ultimately kind of saved civilization during the Dark Ages because while everybody else was going around burning books and, and anything that wasn't the Bible and all that kind of stuff, all these monks and people and devout people in, in Ireland were preserving those great works and copying them and writing them down and all this kind of stuff. And so much of what we have as classic literature from the past was saved through them. That has nothing to do with what I'm getting ready to say. Anyway, in this, it, it, it gave me some uh, insight onto this guy that we refer to as St. Patrick. He's an incredible man. Um, a devout man who loved Jesus and just gave his life to the mission work of, of getting the gospel to Ireland. It, just an amazing, amazing, amazing story. And he prayed, he, he prayed this prayer. We have one of the, a few of his prayers that, that are still recited to this day. And um, most generally in the Catholic Church, we're not much in, for Protestants for reciting prayers. But um, this one particular prayer is called the Breastplate of St. Patrick. And uh, it's a long prayer. We're not gonna, I don't want us to pray the whole thing this morning. I just want us to pray a portion of it. It's the most popular portion that gets prayed most, most often. And these, these were his words. This is what, how he would get up in the morning. They called the Breastplate of St. Patrick because it was his way of putting on the armor of God daily. And he would pray this prayer. And I want you, would you just pray it with me? I've got it up on the screen. Just pray it with me. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of everyone who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Let's pray. Father, I love you so much, and I thank you so much for sending Jesus to us. That you came in the flesh, and you dwelt among us, and you showed us in human flesh how to live these human lives in a new way, a way that was completely and utterly devoted to loving each other and loving our enemies. And God, I pray that as we go out into this world and as that we dig deeper into our own personal spiritual lives, that you, Jesus Christ, would be at the center of everything that we do, everything, every way that we 
behave, every decision that we make, the people that we are, God, that you would be at the center of that. God, I am tired. I am tired of empty religious practices. I'm tired of of the empty religion of just simply showing up to church. I'm tired of the empty religion of simply just knocking off, checking off one more box of one more day on my reading plan just to say that I did it. I'm tired of empty prayers that mean nothing to me, God. I pray this morning that everything I do, all the religion that I participate in, all the good things I even try to do for you, God, that every single one of those things will become a tool for me to meet with you. God, forgive me when I leave you out of my Bible reading. Forgive you when I leave you out of my prayer time and I leave you out of my worship time and my time meeting with my brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help me to place you at the center of all of it, God. Ultimately, if we're going to get closer to you this year, if we're going to develop some healthy spiritual habits this year, They have to be centered around you. God, help us to become obsessed with you. Not your stuff. Not your book. Not all. God, help us to become obsessed with meeting with and knowing you. Deliver us from the falsehood of religion and help us to embrace the beautiful relationship that you've called us to with you. God, I want to know you more. I've studied the guidebook. I know all the the secret things, or at least a lot of them. I've dove in deep. But God, I, I want to know you. Help me to experience you in a way that even the Bible could not have led me to. Help me to move past just the words of this book that we call the Bible and move into a relationship with the Word of God. Speak to us. Move in us. Lead us and guide us, God. Ultimately, God, we do not claim the Bible to be the final authority of our lives. We claim that you, the God of this Bible, are the final authority of our lives. We give ourselves to you. We don't give ourselves to a book. We give ourselves to the Savior of this world, our only hope. And we love you. And we thank you so much for this great and beautiful book. We thank you so much of the people who gave their lives over the last few millennia to pass it down to us. We thank you, and we hold its truth up high, and we thank you for it, and we want to dig into it deep, God, but only as a means of meeting you. And so show us yourself, reveal yourself to us, move in us in deep and mysterious ways, and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.